This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you? Not bad, mate. Can't uh, can't complain too much. How about you? I have just about survived my stag do. I think I've been in a coma since I got back late on Tuesday night. Since I just about feel like a human being again. So all in all, I'm saying it was a positive experience. Sounds good to me. Can't complain with that, can you? Really? Uh, no, I didn't. I was dressed as a darts board on one of the nights, which was good fun. So we got random strangers to point at, uh, pick a different number, and point at it. And I had to down a drink that was associated with that number. Um, I also went out in a wedding dress with a garter. And if they managed to rip my garter off, I had to down whatever I was drinking, which was also painful. So, yeah, they certainly got their got their own back on me for things that I have done to them in the past, it's fair to say. But it was good. Dublin was fun. Um, and I certainly enjoyed catching up on this weekend's championship action because we've got a cracker of a show uh, to go through this week, which I'm very much looking forward to. So, as always, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChatChatPod24. A massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And as I say, on today's podcast, it's the run-in. The start of the run-in, eight championship games to go, and we'll be breaking down every nook and cranny from this weekend's action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, we will start with the shot result of the weekend, and that was at the John Smith Stadium, where Huddersfield Town completed what what can only be described as a remarkable comeback to beat promotion-chasing Middlesbrough 4-2. An unbelievable comeback from Neil Warnock's side against his former club, of course, as well. 1-0 down at the break. And I think if you were the most optimistic Huddersfield fan, you're probably thinking Warnock gets into them at half-time. Hopefully he'll G up them up and maybe we can snatch a point. Well, 20 seconds into the second half, the comeback starts. Josh Ruffles breaks through. Superb finish across the goalkeeper for one all. That was just 20 seconds after the restart. Then... It gets even better. Josh Caroma with probably the most typical Josh Caroma goal I could describe. I think if I just said to you Josh Caroma had scored, you would picture him picking the ball up wide left, cutting inside and curling one into the far corner. That's exactly what he did. I have to say, I did find the decision to send him out on loan in the summer to Portsmouth quite baffling. He didn't have a great season last year. Um, had a few injuries in and out of the team. He wasn't brilliant under Carlos Corbrand, but the year before, he'd been their star man, their, their absolute saviour. So to not really give him a crack of the whip and to send him out to League One, which I thought was quite weird. Um, he's come back in in January. Warnock's obviously taken the reins and he's starting to get a tune out of him, which Warnock is very good at, at harnessing those sort of players. You think of your Adel Tarrach, you know, the people that can be the match winners. And if it means he has to have 10 people working around them to make up for their you know, their shortcomings in other areas, he will do that. And Caroma is someone who can win football matches at championship level for Huddersfield Town. He made it 2-1, curling into the far corner. And then two goals from Matty Pearson, who someone we probably not spoke about enough. He was so good for Huddersfield last year. Got an injury right at the start of the season, which took longer than expected for, to recover. He's basically missed the entire campaign up until the last month. 
And he's a real threat in both boxes. He, he's a he's a really good defender, but equally he's, he's a real goal threat from set pieces as well. And he proved that with two goals in this one as well. And all of a sudden, it's four one to Huddersfield. I don't think when, when was the last time Huddersfield Huddersfield scored four goals at home? Um, certainly not this season. But just a bonkers result. It lifts Huddersfield up to thirty nine points, level with Cardiff, and with Reading set to lose six points. I certainly fancy Huddersfield to get more points than Reading and probably Cardiff between now and the end of the season. When we did our podcast two weeks ago, reflecting on the state of play of the Championship, I said that Reading would go down. And results like this only make me think that Huddersfield will have enough to get themselves out out of it. To to be 1-0 down to this Middlesbrough team, who are fantastic going forward, and you think if Huddersfield had committed too many men on the break, uh, they could have got absolutely punished on the break and and lost 3-4-0 easily. But they were brave, they were bold, and they got the three points. And, and it really gives their survival chances a massive injection. Uh, and, and just a big confidence boost for everyone as well. And they have got some winnable fixtures still to come. Yeah, they certainly have. I mean, first things first, what a victory for them. It's you know, it's one of those that, you know, like we said prior to the international break when they went to win at Millwall, it was, it was the coupon buster of the weekend. Nobody would have foreseen this coming on Saturday, you know. Middlesbrough have been absolutely rampant in recent months, obviously winning games for fun, scoring goals for fun. And, you know, the 1-0 down at half-time, as you've said, probably, you know, the best Huddersfield could have hoped for at that juncture was was a point. But they came out absolutely flying. Josh Ruffles with an absolute stunning goal. Like I you said, that was such a, scored it when I saw That it. was such what a lovely goal. It was, it was superb. Yeah. You know, any, any seasoned striker would have been proud of that one. But, you know, you look at Huddersfield now and all of a sudden... You know, we all expected Neil Warnock to go in there and deliver the immediate bounce that he so often does. Obviously, he won his first game, then they suffered back-to-back 4-0 defeats, Burnley and Coventry. And at that point, you thought that they're really struggling. Obviously, they had that 0-0 draw at Bristol City, the 1-0 defeat at West Brom. It was four games just without scoring a single goal. And at that point, you thought, yeah, they're going to really struggle to get out of this. But since that defeat at West Brom, they've gone through unbeaten. They've played three sides currently inside the top seven and they've taken seven points, back-to-back wins. And, you know, you actually feared after that Millwall game if the international break would have come at the wrong time for them, having just, you know, got a really rare win, a good away win. But obviously they've come out after the restart absolutely flying a brilliant victory. And as you've said, with the prospect of Reading being docked six points, obviously Cardiff are, you know, wobbling a little bit. Huddersfield, all of a sudden, are only now in the drop zone on goal difference with, you know, seven games to go. And all of a sudden, once Reading's points deduction comes into effect, which is expected, they're only going to be a point behind Reading as well. So Huddersfield, all of a sudden, have got a golden opportunity to get out of this. And obviously, with Neil Warnock at the helm, you would really fancy Huddersfield to, you know, complete the great escape. And you look at Huddersfield's remaining fixtures, their next two, Watford away, Blackburn at home over East, over the Easter weekend, you know, two... Well, Watford maybe not so much now, but two teams with playoff aspirations in the next week. Then they've got, you know, kind of middle of the road, Swansea, Sunderland, not really got a lot to play for. But then two of their final three, Cardiff and Reading. I mean, how big could this be? They've got a home game with Sheffield United sandwiched in between those. So, you know, that's not going to be an easy one. But Cardiff away on the 29th of April, then Reading at home on the final day. You know, I know we've got a few more hurdles and hoops to go through before we get to the very, very last stage of the season. But if, you know, something is specifically riding on that final day fixture, say a winner takes all, 
it could be absolutely enormous. And you would back Huddersfield at the moment, certainly being at home with Reading's away form, Neil Warnock and every other element. And, you know, I think the big takeaway that I would pay credit to Huddersfield is that even though obviously they've had a really difficult season, you know, they've faced so many struggles, they've actually now won four games from losing positions this season. And that's not normally something you'd associate with the team at at the bottom. So it suggests that, they, you know, they've still got drive and the attitude is right. So if they've got it in them, which it seems they have to have beaten Middlesbrough, the confidence they're going to have taken from that, I think they've got a really good chance of beating the drop at the moment. And, you know, we'll come on to Watford shortly, but Watford are struggling at the moment. and They've got Watford away on Good Friday. I could see Huddersfield going to Watford and getting a result. If they can go to Millwall and get a result and beat Middlesbrough, I think it's certainly possible that they could turn Watford over as well. So a brilliant win. And, you know, it's given them one hell of a chance. And with the state of play at the minute, I really fancy them to get out of this, even though it's obviously important to mention that Cardiff do have a game in hand, which is, of course, that rearranged game in Rotherham, which was rained off a few weeks ago. It's going to be very, very interesting. But Huddersfield at the minute, you know, they're the ones with a little bit of form about themselves. So at the moment, Neil Warnock, you know, he's doing Neil Warnock things yet again. I think Reading are going down. I know I said that two weeks ago, but I'm I'm pretty adamant that Reading are going to get relegated. Uh, for me, you, like you just put, they're going to lose six points. That's going to happen. Do I think Huddersfield are going to pick up at least one more point? Well, it has to be two with the goal difference. Two more points than Reading between now and the end of the season? Absolutely, I absolutely do. I think the club's in just completely different place in terms of Warnock is galvanizing their, them. He's got a good feeling around the club, despite the fact that they're have been awful all season pretty much. They've had a takeover now, which ultimately, even though we don't really know a lot about the takeover and the people that have took the club over, it still gives fresh optimism about the club. They've avoided administration. There's positivity. Reading, completely despondent. Manager keeps digging out the players. Growing fracture uh, between the owner and the fan base and also the, the, the manager and the fan base. I just don't see personally how Reading stay up from this point and someone can clip that up and complain me that in eight weeks when they stay up but I just personally assuming the points deduction comes which Paul Lynch has confirmed it will once that's applied I just I just don't see how Reading don't get relegated if I'm being completely honest. Sheffield United took full advantage of Middlesbrough slip up George they beat Norwich City 1-0 at Carrow Road a scrappy win for United but very much the sort of victory that promotion campaigns are built on and with Middlesbrough losing, of course, to Huddersfield. They're now six points clear, Sheffield United, of Borough with a game in hand. This was a solid performance, very much filled with all the sort of key ingredients that have made the Paul Heckingbottom side so strong this season. Touch of fortune about the winner with what can only be described as a, a bot shot from Max Lowe finding its way to James McAtee, who prodded in ahead of Tim Krull for 1-0. And Sheffield United were pretty comfortable. They did have other chances to get themselves further ahead and they deserved the win. It means that they are six clear with a game in hand. Both Sheffield United and Burnley will play Middlesbrough... Uh, sorry, both Sheffield United and Middlesbrough will play Burnley over the Easter weekend. I believe it's Burnley v Borough first up on Good Friday and then Sheffield United go to Turf Moor on Monday. So if Middlesbrough lose at, against Burnley, which they could well do on Friday... Sheffield United could essentially be nine points clear with a game in hand. I believe that game in hand is Huddersfield. Or is it West Brom? No, it's West Brom, sorry. Um, which So they've still got a little bit of a wait to play that game as well. So that keeps it interesting for a little bit longer. But Blades could potentially go nine points clear on Friday for results going their favour. They're at home to Wigan, which you would expect them to win. 
um, Middlesbrough hosting Burnley. So it could feel kind of wrapped up on Friday, but then I suppose that three points could swing back the other way by Easter Monday if Sheffield United were to lose at Turf Moor. So it's, it, I feel like we could be in the exact same position in five day in sorry in eight days time where both teams have lost to Burnley and, and we are where we are still. But there'd be two more games ticked down, which for Sheffield United would be huge. Yeah, I agree. And you know, we put up our you know our top six predictions, didn't we, during the international break? And we both backed Sheffield United to stay in second, which you know disgruntled a few Middlesbrough fans, which you can't expect. They've been on such a good run, but. I just looked at that game in hand that the Blades have got and obviously this weekend's events have obviously, you know, made Sheffield United an even bigger favourite to retain second spot. I'm just looking at the Blades' remaining fixtures now and actually five, I think five of their remaining eight are at Bramall Lane. So, you know, you're going to really fancy them now. I think three of the next four are at home. Um, You know, they've got Wigan at home on Good Friday. You'd expect them to win that one. Then they've got Cardiff at home the following weekend. And they've got Bristol City in midweek ahead of the FA Cup tie Manchester City. So, you know, apart from the Burnley away game, they've got quite a favourable run of home games coming up. So you'd expect the Blades to get a good haul of points from from that uh, crop of fixtures coming up. But, you know, at the weekend, a solid professional away win. You know, Norwich is always always a difficult place to go. But for whatever reason, the Blades have a quite a good record against Norwich in recent years. They always seem to find a way to do them over. And obviously they did it again. Like you said, it wasn't the most spectacular of winners, but... It's them gritty one nil away wins that, that, you know, put yourselves in the position that United are in. So, obviously, they've got that six-point gap on Borough now. They could take that to nine on Friday. You know, obviously, Sheffield United play at three o'clock. Middlesbrough-Burnley's the evening game. You know, it could put huge pressure on Middlesbrough to get a result against Burnley on Friday night if the Blades win Friday afternoon. But then on the flip side, if Wigan produce an absolute shock of all shocks and win at Bramall Lane, and then Middlesbrough go and beat Burnley... We're suddenly back down to three points. So the Easter weekend, I've always said it. My biggest, probably Good Friday memory of recent was Wigan doing an absolute madness at Ellen Road when they won 2 1. Yeah. And if I remember right, Reading won at Sheffield United on Good Friday last year. I remember that one quite well. Yeah, they did. So, you know, I always think the Easter weekend, it's it's almost like a final day, but, you know, rolled into two. There's such. You know, such drama that can happen it's on my, Good Friday it's Easter Monday. It's my favourite weekend. weekend. It's my favourite one of the season. It beats Boxing yeah. Day for me. The Good Friday, Easter Monday split. I it's love it. It's brilliant. The only sun's out. Is this... Everyone's got a bit of optimism. Well, Every game's got jeopardy on. You so, say uh, sun's out. It don't quite feel warm enough Easter weather yet, like we've been used to. But hopefully it might pick up. But yeah, you know, the Easter weekend's great. There's so much drama that can ride on it. But, you know, this season, as we, you know, we're entering April now. There's so much to be decided at both ends. The playoff race is still, you know, relatively wide open. Obviously, a few slipped up over the weekend. On the playoffs, on George, let's let's bring in Norwich at this point. They're, I yeah. think that if they lose to Blackburn on Good Friday, they're out of it. It's four points well, at the minute. I think if they lose at Ewood Park possible. on Friday, they're out. They've only scored... Well, goals have been a real struggle for them of late Blackburn as well. have a game in hand as well, don't they? That is Burnley, though. Yeah. Well, you never know. You never know. Anything can happen, but... You know, I look at that playoff race and I actually, you know, in our top six predictions that we recently did, I did back Norwich to to sneak into sixth place, which, you know, they could still do four points. You know, it's an easy gap to, to eat into, especially at this stage of the season where things can change so much. But like you've said there, goal scoring form has been a little bit of an issue. Which is weird because when one, David Wagner first one, came in, they were absolutely flying in that front, they were, weren't they? You know, they put four past Preston, they put four past Coventry, you know, they put three past Birmingham, Millwall, um, uh, Hull City as well, they beat by three. But you look at their current form, they're now four without a win. 
and they scored only one goal in that run, and that was against Huddersfield, who you know obviously have had a lot of troubles this season. And it's you know back to back home defeats as well. That's a concern mm-hmm. without scoring. Obviously, they lost to Sunderland a few weeks ago. So, like you said, that Blackburn game is you know really significant because if that gap goes out to seven on Good Friday, then Norwich really are you know up against it. They've got Rotherham at home on Easter Monday, which you've got to look at and consider a must win. But beyond that, Norwich they've still got to go to Middlesbrough. They've got to go to West Bromwich Albion. So you know there's another two really difficult assignments for them. That West Brom game, that's the penultimate game of the season for both of them. That could be a huge game depending on what things you know things are at then. But in between that, they've got to go to QPR. They've got to play Blackpool still. So, you know, there's opportunities for them, even though obviously they're fighting for their lives now. But, you know, recent results have derailed them because, you know, while others have slipped, they've not capitalised on it. So it's certainly an issue. And like you said there, when David Wagner first went in, putting the ball in the back of the net was no problem at all. They were scoring goals really, really frequently. And then in the past month or so, they've really tailed off. It's ever since that win at Millwall, which you would have thought they'd taken huge confidence from winning there. They seem to have regressed and gone backwards two points from the last twelve available. They've, you know, they've got to get a win at Blackburn at the weekend. You would think. Yeah, I agree personally. Um, one team that I am absolutely adamant will be in the top six, George, is Luton Town. They are level on points with Middlesbrough now in fourth, and this massive win against Watford puts them in pole position for consecutive top six finishers. Obviously, loads and loads of narrative in this game. Not not least because it's a big derby between the two sides. I think it's the first time they played at Kenilworth Road for 17 years or something like that, I heard over the weekend. And obviously the Rob Edwards factor, playing against the club who sacked him earlier in the season after just 11 games. Well, they absolutely battered Watford. They were by far the best team. This was one team that looked succinct, looked looked fluid, that had a philosophy and an idea against a group of individuals who flattered to to deceive probably is too, too kind for Watford. They are so poor. They're a group of individuals compared to this well-oiled machine that Rob Edwards has put together. And he deserves so much praise, really, for what he's done since he went in there. Only Burnley and Middlesbrough have taken more points than Luton Town since Rob Edwards took over. And he's taken a team, George, that we thought were already at their maximum. For Luton to be in the playoffs or in and around the top half of the Championship, we thought was their ceiling. And he's somehow come in from Nathan Jones and took them to an even better level. I think they're a better footballing team, certainly. Probably less of less of this underdog scrappy mentality and more a bit more puffy chests out. Actually, we're a good football team. We deserve to be here. Is sort of the mentality shift I'm getting from this team. And in terms of characters, you couldn't really go more of a U-turn from Nathan Jones to, to Rob Edwards, who's very calm, very measured in comparison to Nathan Jones, who obviously was very scrappy, very emotive. And they're an absolute shoe in for the playoffs, in my view. The the, the first goal was a thing of beauty, lovely. 1-2 and Pelly Rudder Campanzo crossing for uh, Osho to finish. And they dominated the match. They really did. They were the better team. They were aggressive. They were strong. They're everything that you want to see in a football team. They remind me a little bit, or certainly the performance did of the weekend, it reminded me a little bit of Sheffield United under Chris Wilder in the season that they got promoted when they finished second. Just, just in terms of where they just look dominant and just aggressive and more fluid than, than their opponents. It was like they were playing like on times one and a half and Watford were on just times one. They were dominant, brilliant performance. And as I say, Luton, for me, will be definitely finishing the uh, in the top six this season. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, I I fully agree with that. I think they're an absolute shoo-in for that now. And, you know, I've been looking at their numbers actually this morning comparing to last year. And they were actually in fourth after 39 games last season. 
But this time around, they are, you know, I know it's not a lot, but they are three points better off than what they were at this stage. So, you know, they're continuing to make progress. But I think the biggest takeaway that I think you've got to look at this Luton team under Rob Edwards is how strong they are defensively. That has been the backbone to what they've done. You look at their recent run of games, they've kept four clean sheets in the last five games. And that only goal that they've scored, conceded, was a penalty, which was incredibly soft at Sunderland. So they've won five games without conceding from open play. You know, if you've got a really solid defensive line like that, you're going to be up there, you know, towards the top of the table at the end of the season. And they're not having any difficulty scoring goals either. You know, they've they've only actually failed to score in one game, I think, since Rob Edwards actually took over. And that was the 1-0 defeat at home to Burnley. So, you know, that that's the the sort of progress that they've made. And I thought at the time, Rob Edwards and Luton, it felt like a perfect match. Obviously, he'd come through the ranks just as Luton have in the last few years, developed the way up the Football League, obviously coming from non-league all the way through now to being, you know, knocking on the door of the Premier League. And Rob Edwards has come along, obviously, you know, he's he's had the dirty done in him by Watford, let's be honest. The way that they got rid of him was disgraceful so quickly. And he's come in, you know, and he's just picked up the baton from Nathan Jones and said, right, you've done this under him, which is very good. I'm going to make you even better. And that's exactly what he's done so far. And, you know, Luton at the minute... They're obviously on equal points with Borough. You know, there's obviously a chance Sheffield United could slip up. There is that opportunity. If we're talking about Middlesbrough being there to pick up the pieces, potentially, you, you can't discredit Luton in this. I think Luton are still in the top of the race. Yeah, of course, it's going to be difficult. They are going to rely on favours. Obviously, the Blades have got a game in hand. They are going to need others to, you know, take points off them. But Luton, I look at them and there just seems to be no let-up with them. They're really, really consistent. And that is key at this stage of the season. Obviously, Good Friday, they've got Millwall away, who they played not so long ago, it must be said. Obviously, in that 2-2 draw, when they came back from 2-0 down to, to get a point that game. I watched that that night. That's a monster clash, that, isn't it, really? It is. It's a really big game. It's the early kickoff on Good Friday. Then their next three games, Blackpool at home, Rotherham away, Reading away. Of course, not easy. They're all fighting for their lives down there. But, you know, if Luton continue to do what they do, they should be looking at that and taking a good haul of points. And how about this, though? The 24th of April, Monday night, Middlesbrough at home at Kenilworth Road. If Sheffield United have wobbled a little bit, not saying they will, but if they have, how big a game could that potentially be? You know, with literally a week and a half before the season finishes. It it could be a really interesting end to the season for Luton, but I've got absolutely no hesitation that they will not finish inside the top six. I think that I would go as far as saying that that job is done, personally. They've got a 10-point cushion over Norwich. I know, I'm not know the, sure. I, I wouldn't go that I, I because of who they've got left to play. They've got still I got to go to Millwall. They've still got to go to Blackburn. Just, and they've still got Middlesbrough see, at home. I can't see a situation personally where, say, Blackburn, Blackburn and Millwall could get above them and then another team could come along and eat into that lead that they've got. Personally, I think there's too little time left. Obviously, it's not mathematically impossible. Of course it isn't, but... I just think with what I've seen from Luton, certainly over the last month, with the consistency, their solidity defensively, I just think, you know, a top six finish for the second season in a row is nailed on. And, you know, in the playoffs, personally, I really wouldn't want to face them because I think they've got such a a strong wit about themselves and such a strong ability to, you know, grind results out. We saw it obviously going to Bramall Lane not long ago and winning 1-0. You know, they beat Bristol City by a goal to nil, Swansea by a goal to nil. They just find a way to get the job done. And, you know, we often say those 1-0 wins are the best wins. So, 
Luton, I'm I'm really upbeat and positive about their chance of you know potentially getting promoted, and you know Middlesbrough, Sheffield United will have something to say about that, and then the others that do finish inside the playoffs if they do need the playoffs. But you know Luton at the minute, I'd probably argue out of you know the teams in the playoff chase, they're probably the form team that you really wouldn't want to wouldn't want to clash with. But that game in Millwall at the weekend, you know, Good Friday, that could be very interesting. If Luton win that, they go nine clear of Millwall. Yeah, that's huge. Coventry City nil, Stoke City four. George Stoke yet again rampant as they demolished Coventry. I, like Stoke are just what they're an absolutely bonkers team at the minute. They're they're probably one of the best teams in the league right now. They could have done this five games earlier. They probably would be on a on a, with a chance for the top six. As it is, they've got too much to do. But talk about building momentum and form for next season. That midfield blend for me is the thing that keeps winning them football matches. Ben Pearson sat at the base, breaking things up. Just a very, very good championship operator, as we know. Josh Laurent using his physique, using his skill, the ability to run beyond. And then the subtlety and, and running power of, of um, Will Smallbone and the goal-scoring ability as well, which has been superb. And then when they've got Jacob Brown and Tyrese Campbell on form, you know, that second goal, Tyrese Campbell's goal, is the most Tyrese Campbell goal you're going to see. I said that about Josh Caroma earlier. Well, uh, I think the same with, with Tyrese Campbell winning one-on-one, pretty ice cool and a left-footed finish into the far corner. They were brilliant and they made a decent Coventry City team look very, very ordinary and they were dominant. The thing for Stoke now, between now and the end of the season, is working out how many of the lone players they can keep for next season because that is the spine of their team, which is the only small concern about them kicking on next season. You've got Smallbone, Pearson, two of that midfield three I've just spoken about. You've got Dujon Sterling at left-back, Hoover, who scored... And the goal of the game at right back, brilliant goal of that, the, definitely the pick of the bunch with that fine solo goal. And then also, what do you want to do in goal? Sarkic was the number one who was on loan as well. He's injured, of course, still. So the, there's bits of this team that need piecing together for next season, definitely. And I'm sure Alex Neal and the, the Stoke City recruitment team are well on with that. Stoke will be well backed, you'd expect, financially in the summer. So if, if there's players that they can bring in permanently, I'm sure they'll have the, the wiggle room financially to do that. But it's really exciting for what Stoke could be next season. They look more like an Alex Neal side now, and he's getting more from that attacking flair, whilst also saying resolute at the back. And let's not forget they sold the best centre-back in January as well, and they've not really suffered for it with Harry Suter going to Leicester City. Brilliant performance from Stoke and, and certainly the informed side in the Championship right now, or, or one of several. Yeah, they're certainly on a roll. It must be said that, you know, and I think the worst thing for them is that they've literally, you know, gonna, they're going to run out of games to, you know, launch... Run out of runway. <laughs> they are. They literally are going to run out of tarmac, let's be honest. You know, the gap at the moment to the playoff places is... It's ten points. It's it's highly unlikely that they're going to be able to bridge that. You know they'd have to they'd have to win every game and hope several others slip up along the way, both in the top six and between themselves and sixth place. So it's going to come a little bit too late for that. But they're certainly ending the season with a flourish. You know, unfortunately, it's come a little bit too late for them. But it offers hope for next season that Alex Neal, with you know the financial backing that he's likely to get, could really kick on with this Stoke team. Obviously, it took it took him quite a while to get things moving. But, you know, since the January transfer window has closed, the form's been really good. They've only lost three games since the end of the transfer window. And, you know, they were all slender 1-0 defeats, so they've not been hammered by anybody in that time. And so I look at Stoke and I think it was always going to take a little bit of time for Alex Neal, obviously. He came in very late in the summer transfer window and he was prized away from Sunderland. Didn't really get much done in terms of what he wanted to add then. Did it in January with several loan signings. Obviously, Ben Pearson has 
played an integral role in what they've done. And, you know, they've just kicked on slowly but surely and they're now ramping up the wins. You know, I said on the last podcast that I saw them, um, that home win against Blackburn and the 1-1 draw away at Middlesbrough in, in the middle of March. I thought they were absolutely outstanding the night they went to Borough. They played so, so well. And they, on another day, they'd probably win that game 2-3-1. or They had a really, really good energetic performance that night, played some lovely football. And, you know, if they can do that away from home, they're going to be up there next season, you would like to think, if they're already competing with the best, because that squad should only improve. And I think the other thing for Stoke is, obviously, keeping the loanies is going to be important, but they need some better luck on the injury front. They've not had that for a while. They've had some really rotten luck with injuries. You know, Tyrese Campbell, Nick Powell, they've been long-term absentees for a long time. Powell, especially for several seasons of his career. But when they're up and at it, they're really good, technically gifted footballers. And, you know, I look at Stoke's remaining fixtures and with the form that they're in, even though they've obviously got nothing really to play for themselves except for a highest finish possible, they could have a really big say in what happens at both ends of the table, I must say, because their remaining fixtures, they've got West Brom to come. Uh, they've got Watford on the final day. They've also got to play Wigan, Cardiff and QPR. So Stoke could have a really big say in what happens between now and the end of the season for others. But for themselves, I think the objective is just a case of let's finish as strong as we can. Let's keep, you know, trying to blow teams away. We're scoring a good amount of goals at the minute. And, you know, we've got several people chipping in. I mean, Keanu Hoover, what form he's in, four in four for him. Now, it's it's remarkable since he's netted that brace against Blackburn. He's on a real goal scoring run. So, you know, goals are coming from all angles of the pitch. Will Smallbone, I think, is just a class act. He's a really, really exciting player, I must say. And, you know, I know people say the gulf between the Premier League and the Championship is big, but after the way Southampton have gone this season, why on earth they sent both Will Smallbone and Nathan Teller out on loan is beyond me because they've both been absolutely superb this season. Nathan it Teller in particular, that's Southampton that must have a Southampton must have a very, very good squad, that's all I can say. Um don't know how no, um, the Premier League this year. Rock bottom, if you didn't see. Um, Will Smallbone, though, fantastic operator. And I was actually surprised that looking at his stats... He's actually only scored three goals and got four assists this season. I thought he'd got a lot more than that. So it proves that even when he's not, you know, scoring the goals or playing the final pass, he's so influential in the way that Stoke like to play. And, you know, he's a really, really talented player. Um, got an assist on international duty with Ireland as well during the break, it must be said. So, you know, he's in good form at the minute. Stoke are flying. And unfortunately, it's just a case that it's just come two or three weeks late because if they started this a little bit sooner... I think they'd have been right in the playoff conversation. So it's a bit unfortunate in that sense, but really encouraging signs for next season. But obviously, keeping specific low knees, you would think, is going to be really important to their chances next season. But promising signs for them and Alex Neal. Absolutely. Birmingham City won, Blackburn Rovers nil. I was at St Andrews, of course, for this match where Birmingham dented Blackburn Rovers' top six hopes. It was quite an even game in truth. This wasn't a typical Rovers not turning up performance. It was just a really, like, even championship game that really could have gone either way. I think whoever scored the first goal was always quite likely to win it. There wasn't a lot in it, in the match at all at 0-0. Rovers started quite brightly, actually, in the first 20 minutes with a better side. Joe Rankin-Costello played really well, again, moving from that right-back role into central midfield. And Birmingham just couldn't cope with him. Rovers had control, had that extra man. But they didn't score, crucially, and they didn't work John Ruddy enough in that period. Birmingham came back into the game and had a couple of chances. Lewis Travis nearly scored no goal. It came off the post. John Ruddy um, saving well from Ryan Hedges twice, the second of which would have been goal of the season contender. I don't think it was on that highlights on the EFL package, actually, but 
he basically hit it from sort of the right-hand side of the area, if you can imagine him on his left foot. And we were right behind it. It's going in the top corner and Ruddy just gets a fingertip to push it wide. That would have been 1-0. As it was, Reda Kadra's strike proved decisive. Really good shot across goal. I have to say, Kadra was awful as well until that point, And he literally got subbed off about five minutes later. So he had a shocking game, really. But he scored a really good goal against his former club. And Birmingham were rock solid. And you, you wouldn't come away saying Birmingham didn't deserve to win. But I also don't think Blackburn deserved to lose. I think a one-all draw would have been absolutely fair. But Birmingham were, were rock solid. Didn't give away many clear-cut openings. But their star man for me was George Hall, who was a really exciting young player. England under-19 international midfielder. Playing just in front of Bielik. Um, and Jay Shang, and he was fantastic. He, he, he drove at Blackburn with pace. He was athletic. He pressed really well. And Birmingham got a lot of really good youthful prospects in that central mid area, midfield area. As I say, Shang played next to Christian Bielik. He's a young lad who's only just started breaking into the first team. Jordan James and Joe Bellingham were both on the bench. And Hall, maybe the pick of the bunch right now. He was really, really impressive. Uh, Austin Trusty, who played at left back and got booked in the first half, did really well up against Sober Thomas after he came on as well. So they were my two standouts for Birmingham. Good win for them. From a Blackburn point of view, it's a difficult one. No harm really done because nobody around them won other than Luton. Millwall, of course, drew and dropped points. Uh, Middlesbrough lost. Uh, Coventry lost. West Brom didn't win. They drew with Millwall. So no harm done. There's still four points clear of Norwich, who lost as well. But... It's another game where you just came away from St. Andrews thinking that's an opportunity missed. If you're going to lose in the running, don't lose a tight game like that to Birmingham. It's one of those where if you, you, you can't win the game, don't lose it. And a point would have been really good given the results elsewhere. So no harm done, but a bit of a let off if I'm being completely honest. The record from behind is still a massive concern. They've only taken one point from losing positions this season, which was a free kick at West Brom. So that's still a bit of a concern. Injuries didn't help with this. They had Ben Brereton Diaz had to be on the bench because he's not fully fit, having come back from international duty with Chile. Bradley Dack got 10 minutes back on his return from injury. But again, Thomason said after the match, he probably wouldn't have used either of those players if he'd got a bigger squad. And again, that makes me think that is the lack of January activity and the inability to get a striker through the door possibly going to cost them in the long run? Potentially. But in the end, they got away with what was a could have been a very damaging defeat. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's they've obviously been helped by results elsewhere over the weekend. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, Birmingham, no disrespect to them, but they've not, you know, they're not really a team who's got a lot to play for now. I don't think they're going to get sucked into the relegation battle for two minutes. You know, I've just been singing the praises a few minutes ago of Stoke and, you know, Birmingham are only three, three points behind them. So it just goes to show that, you know, I think in the circumstances, Birmingham have had, a, you know, an OK season, to be fair. I've quite liked what I've seen of Birmingham when I've seen them on Sky quite a lot this season. But you know, for Blackburn, it is it is a disappointing result. It's not one that you would you would have looked at and thought mm, this is one that we're gonna you know not be able to get anything from. It's probably one of our you know not easy but favourable fixtures in the running that we've got because Blackburn's remaining games there's some there's some really interesting games that they've got coming up in their final eight. You know, in terms of promotion chases, they've obviously got Luton and Millwall in the last two games. They've got Burnley ahead of that. They've got Norwich on Good Friday. They've got Huddersfield obviously fighting for the lives Easter Monday. So, you know, really the only two that they've got to play who are not likely to have anything to play for are probably Hull and Preston. They're the only two. You know, Coventry obviously is still chasing that playoff place and that's, you know, on the 19th of April, that one. So, you know, there's still several big hurdles for Blackburn to come across. And like you said, the lack of goals 
could be what cost them because obviously the goal difference is now bang on zero, which you know, in comparison to the teams in and around them, negatives all season. I'd say that's quite positive. Well, it's you know, when you look around them though, Millwall obviously eight, Norwich ten, Coventry six, West Brom eight. You know, it's it's not ideal, but you know, we've seen how things can change in this league so quickly. So I still think that Blackburn will get in the top six. I think the Easter weekend is very, very big for them. Norwich game on Friday, of course, is huge. Huddersfield away, that suddenly looks a lot trickier than it did, say, a couple of weeks ago, particularly after the, what they did to Middlesbrough on Saturday. So Blackburn have got some really big hurdles to you know overcome in the, in the coming weeks. And I think it's a case of, is it a case of they've got to show how much do we want this? You know, they've obviously they missed out on the FA Cup semi-final at Bramall Lane a couple of weeks ago to Sheffield United. That was a really, you know, really disappointing result for them having played so well. So performances have been there for Blackburn. Let's be honest, you know, they have played well in a lot of games recently, but they're just not, you know, being fluid enough in front of goal to perhaps kill teams off, if that's the right way of describing it. Because they have, of course, been winning games, but not massively convincingly. So, really big period for them coming up. Obviously, you see them a lot more than I do. But, I don't know, I think I still think they will get in the top six. But I think they've got a really interesting running in these final eight games. You know, if nothing's decided by the time we get to the final week of the season, Luton and Millwall, wow, what, what an ending that could be for Blackburn. It's going to be very, very interesting indeed. Yeah, I, I don't feel good about how my uh, heart's going to feel if we go into that final... 10 days and they've got Burnley at home uh, Lewin at home, Millwall away to finish the season and it's still neck and neck. Um, Cardiff City 2 Swansea City 3, what a win what a way to win your derby for Swansea City, what a match 5 goal thriller, Russell Martin maintains his 100% derby record against Cardiff, he's beaten 4 different managers in that time, George for Cardiff, which is quite amusing no team has done the double in successive seasons in this derby for 110 years, so Fair to say bragging rights are very much with the Swans right now. And it was a brilliant game, brilliant drama, everything you want in a derby game, really. Um, Swansea raced into a two-goal lead pretty early on. Lovely goal from Joel Perrault to fire in at the near post and then very nearly did the same again. But Liam Cullen was on hand to head in to make it 2-0. And then to their credit, Cardiff worked, worked their way back into the game. They showed good resilience. Great goal from Philogene to make it 2-1. And then Cabba headed the level. And you're probably thinking, well, it's been a good game, four goals, plenty of uh, needle, plenty of good atmosphere between the two fans, and we can all go home relatively happy. Well, Swansea fought differently, 99th minute, Benka Bango, first shot from Jay Fulton, well, the first shot hits the wall, it comes back to him, he then slams it against the post, it breaks to Benka Bango, and he fires it into the net to send Swansea cities away into raptures. Brilliant win for them, that is the way you want to win a derby game. And that puts Swansea now up to 15th. Bit of momentum building for them. The form's turned a little bit. It, it's all. It's very difficult to know what's, whether this really matters because ultimately we haven't got a clue what Swansea are going to do in, in the summer. They could sell everyone. They could invest a little bit. They might keep some players. Martin could leave. Martin could sign a new contract. We don't, really don't know with this ownership. Probably the, ones how, with the, probably, the, gonna... probably the club with the biggest question mark above them. I would say, in the whole league. Yeah, in what they could be next season. They could be top six yeah. challengers. They could be relegation fodder. I, it Who knows? depends what the owners decide to pull out but, of their backsides in the summer. But on the here and now, what a win. 
what a way to win it. I think the definition of that was seen. Have you to seen be quite the honest. video from the fans where um, you can see the Cardiff fans just like droop down and the absolute yep. limbs in the Swansea City away? And it's absolutely unbelievable. Brilliant. This sub sprinting across the pitch. That's what it's all about. And you know, on Derby Day, form goes out the window. You know, everything else can be forgotten about. It's all about winning that one game. And Swansea did it in the most dramatic way. And again, they've triumphed over their, their biggest rivals once more. So. A really, really good win for Russell Martin. A big win, obviously, two 0 up. You know, it could have, it would have been a disastrous result not to have won the game, having you know raced into a two 0 lead. But they found the way. They kept plugging away. They kept pushing, and they got the goal and they won the game. So, really big win for them. You look at their remaining fixtures. Again, similarly, in a in a way to Stoke, they could have quite a big say in what happens at both ends of the table between now and the end of the season because they've got a mixture of playoff contenders. And, you know, those in danger of going down in the next few weeks. Easter weekend, they've got um, Coventry at home. Then they've got Wigan away on Easter Monday. And then they've got Huddersfield the following Saturday. So they've got, you know, a series of big games, even though they're not necessarily big for themselves. It's for their opponents that obviously things are going to be riding on. So it's going to be interesting how Swansea develop, obviously. They're not going to go down. They're not going to go up this season. They've got nothing to play for except for pride between now and the end of the season. If they can finish in the top half, I think for the way things have been, that would be successful in terms of where they've come from, even though at the start of the season, not many Swansea fans would have accepted that. But at the moment, five points off 12th behind Sunderland might not be so easy to finish in the top half of the tail, but we'll see. But I think similarly to Stoke, it's just a case of trying to finish as strongly as possible. But, you know, they're going to take great confidence from winning a derby game like that. And, Let's see what they've got. So, like I say, probably the thing to watch with Swansea between now and the end of the season is what impact are they going to have on others? Another derby win, George. Preston North End, they beat Blackpool 3-1 at Deepdale. Another big win for Preston North End. Just sniffing around those playoff places. Could they? No, I don't think they can. But Preston fans will be a bit excited by the current run of form. And I hate to say I told you so. But I did kind of tell you so, Preston fans, to have a little bit of patience with Ryan Lowe. And that's been justified by the recent results. Particularly, the form at Deepdale has improved. They're scoring more goals. They're looking a far better side. And once again, I think Ryan Lowe's quite a decent manager. And I think he's doing quite a decent job with this Preston group. If I'm being honest, it's been a bit dull at times. It's been a bit turgid. It's been hard work. But ultimately, they've got a very probably a 5% chance of the top six as we're in the start of April, which... I think is a pretty decent spot for Preston North End to be in, really. Better side in this one as well. Brilliant strike from Dan, uh, from Dan Potts. He's had it. He, uh, Brad Potts, sorry, not Dan Potts. Brad Potts has got a really good goal of the season, like contender reel, hasn't he? He scored that brilliant goal at Luton early in the season. Brilliant strike against Blackpool. I thought the goal, the second goal, I thought was horrendous goalkeeping, I think, from Chris Maxwell. But for, in two senses, he's quite clearly not set the wall up right because that's way too easy for Whiteman to get that up and down. And I think he should save it. So he's clearly not set his wall up right, and I think he should save the shot anyway. Once he went to 2-0, that was game over. Probably once he went to 1-0, that was game over in truth. And then they caught them on the counter-attack for the third. Lovely finish from Tom Cannon. I think they would probably quite like to get him back next season, because with each game he's playing in his first loan spell, he seems to be getting better and better. He certainly knows where the back of the net is and how to finish. And it's always a bit of an adaptation period for for strikers, particularly, I think, coming from the Premier League too, where it's just a different game compared to playing in, in men's football in the EFL. We've seen that with Liam Delap and how he's struggled this season, both at Stoke and then at Preston this season. Well, Cannon 
looks like he's got that bit of physicality and bit of fight, bit of bit of Liverpoolian aggression to make a name for himself in the EFL. So if I was him, if I was Preston, I'd be trying to get him tied down for another loan next season pretty quickly because he's the sort of player where he's already on four goals. I could genuinely see him getting 10 to 15 next season if he continues at the rate of development that I think we've seen from him in the last two months. From a Blackpool point of view, they got one back through Jerry Yates, but I'm I'm sorry they are going down. They're not good enough. There's not enough quality to sustain any sort of form. The QPR win was a flash in the pan. And for me, they will be in League One next year. Mick McCarthy's not got the most out of the players that they brought in in January, which I thought was a decent bit of business to bring Josh Bowler back, to bring Morgan Rogers in. He's not got the most out of them. They've not been brilliant either, to be fair. But Blackpool, they might win another couple of games between now and the end of the season. But I've got no confidence that they could go on a six-game unbeaten run, for example, with three or four wins in there. I think they could win one and then lose four. And unfortunately, they've not got enough games to get enough points on the board if that's what they're going to do. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I was, you know, reasonably hopeful about Mick McCarthy when he went in there. I thought he would, you know, have what it takes to keep them up. But obviously, it's not worked out. And it's looking as though, as you said, they're going to be in League One next season. It's been pretty disastrous, all things considered. But on the positive front for Preston, I'll tell you what, the Easter weekend for them is huge, like it is for so many. But I'll look at Preston's fixtures over Easter. They've got QPR away on Good Friday, Reading at home on Easter Monday. I'll tell you what, if they win both of those games, they could be hot on the heels of the top six, especially if others around them falter. You know, we've you've said all along for quite a while now, haven't you, that you've still fancied West Brom to get into the top six. You've tipped them to get in there still, certainly when we did the international break uh, roundup. I did. Preston are now on equal points with West Brom. If you're still fancying them, maybe you do have to consider Preston as well. Play, Obviously, West Brom do have a game, game in hand. We've got a game in West Brom, yeah, but we know from past experiences of the club that we support that games in hand can often mean very, yeah, very little. But Let's be I honest. I think at this stage of the season, a game in hand is pretty important. I mean, if West Brom won the yeah, game of in course, hand, it puts them up but, to seventh. But they might not win that game in hand. There's they always might. that button if element. Ultimately, so they might well not. Yeah, exactly. It's a difficult one. But Preston, I mean, that Easter weekend cup of fixtures they've got, QPR away, Reading at home, you know, QPR in absolute free fall. I mean, they are just, you know, a disaster of a, of a club right now. Reading, you know, they got a point away at the weekend at Bristol City, but overall have been very, very poor away from home this season. Could Preston get six points over the Easter weekend and Probably. things go their way? They could be really close to the top six, so I wouldn't discount them yet. I would I think it's say it's unlikely rather than points. I think you can I would make say it's a point unlikely. for it on points, but I think the traffic yeah. in front of them is too much. Yeah, as I say, I think it's unlikely, but they're certainly giving themselves a sniff of a chance, shall we say. That was probably the best way to put it. You know, as I say, the Easter weekend looks, you know, favourable for them. It's a good opportunity. Then they've got Millwall. That could be a huge game away from home. And they've still got to play Blackburn at home. They've still got to go to Bramall Lane. They've still got to play Sunderland. So they have got a quite a difficult set of fixtures towards the end. So I wouldn't think so. But Easter weekend could be interesting is probably the right word for Preston. But, you know, overall... Obviously, we had a lot of fans, didn't we, speaking to us, you know, a couple of months ago about how disgruntled they were about the, the style of play, which was understandable. There was a lot of negativity around. But since, you know, being that that embarrassment in terms of the performance rather than the result, and they lost 3-0 at Burnley when Preston fans admitted it was it was men against boys. They were so poor. They've put a really good run together with the exception of that defeat at Middlesbrough. 
you know, and a lot of teams have lost at the Riverside in the last few months. So let's not, you know, be too downhearted on that. They've won three of the last four. Tom Cannon's got three goals in that run. He's in good form. They are, like you said, scoring more goals now. So, you know, they're threatening to end the season quite well. And like you've said, Preston, 10th in the league with a month of the season to go. Most Preston fans would have accepted that, I would have thought, at the start of the season, to be fair. You know, they've always been a club that's not been able to spend a lot of money. They've relied on loans. And the point you made lastly on Preston, on Tom Cannon, in the sense that maybe they could get him back next season for maybe a full season, is the track record that Ryan Lowe's beginning to develop with loan signings could stand Preston in good stead for the summer for getting one or two promising gems through the door. Because obviously there was success. Fernandez has Cam- done well for yeah. Manchester United. Fernandez has done very well. Really impressed by him. And Preston also had Zidane Iqbal on a work experience basis from Manchester United um, last summer, I think, or maybe the summer before. So there's obvious connection between Preston and Manchester United that you know could be utilised. Maybe one or two promising youngsters at Old Trafford. So I think Preston could, you know, if they can recruit smartly in the summer, maybe next season they can really kick on and make that genuine top six push. So I think it's a case of see how the Easter weekend unfolds and review it for them then. But I think the Easter weekend, personally, I know it's the championship, we know anything can happen, but on paper, six points is definitely not beyond Preston with the two fixtures they've got. Yeah, I would, I would, I can't argue with that. Finally, George, Wigan won Queen's Park Rangers nil. Wigan have given themselves a lifeline. I still don't think it's enough to get them out of trouble, but they are the specialists. I suppose if someone's going to do the great escape, Wigan have to be them. Got a, they've got a bit of previous, haven't they? This was a game they quite simply had to win and they did do that thanks to a Max Power penalty. Remarkably, George, that's Max Power's first goal in the Championship and he's played 82 games, which I think is quite remarkable, really. Um, They deserved the win. They were the better side. They they were quite solid defensively. And as I've said on previous podcasts, I do think they've improved since Sean Maloney came to the club. They've just been drawing too many games and they really need wins at the stage they're at. Doesn't help when you lose three points because you can't pay your players on time either. But I do think... Sean Maloney's done a decent job and I would like to think if the off the field issues can you know they can put a lid on those I think that they'll be in a decent spot to rebuild and go again for next season but I do think that will be in league 1 ultimately Queens Park Rangers my god what is wrong with them they're just absolutely <laughs> broken as a football club lackluster again it's it actually unbelievable they'd actually got some players back as well you know they had Ethan yeah. Led and Kenneth Powell playing at wing back they got Chris Willock in the team Elias Chair came on at half time so it's not even like the injuries were an issue in this game. They just they look devoid of any sort of identity or confidence. And it, it, all, it already feels like Gareth Ainsworth's position is a little bit precarious, which is absolutely oh. ri- ridiculous and bonkers. But given how the results are going, how can it not be, really? The, the club just seems rotten at the moment. Ainsworth said after the match that he felt that QPR were overachieving to be top of the league of course they were but they certainly have not got a squad that should be in the bottom third of the championship so I'm sorry that doesn't really wash this group of players has got a serious serious question to answer to because how they have let this happen and I'm sorry I am putting the blame of this run at the players door it's a good squad yes there's been injuries yes the club hasn't been very stable with with different managers coming and going but this group of players has has basically down tools for the last 25 games of this season and it's not good enough ultimately. 
No, and I'll tell you something, after that defeat at the weekend with Huddersfield winning, I think there was always an element with QPR where you looked at it and you know everybody's been looking at F1 thinking, wow, they are really falling off the edge of a cliff. But you never really thought, because of those struggling further beneath them, that they would get sucked into this properly. All of a sudden, they're right in the thick of it now. You know, they are fighting for their lives. They've got to find a way to turn things around. You know, they're only three points above the drop zone now. So they're in really, really deep trouble. But, you know, I was looking at their form on Saturday evening. They've taken seven points from a possible 42 this calendar year in 2023. It's, it's absolutely shambolic. They've won one game since Christmas Day. One game. And that was against Watford. But you look at the teams they're losing to. They're losing to the teams beneath them. They got absolutely destroyed by Blackpool, who, you know, have not been able to buy a win. They got turned over by Rotherham. They got turned over, you know, they got turned over by, um, um, when am I looking? Crowd lost me place now. They got turned over at home by Birmingham in the last game, losing to them. You know, they've obviously lost at Wigan on, on, Sun, uh, on Saturday. It's just absolutely shambolic. And, you know, you've raised a point there about Gareth Ainsworth. And we said when he got the job, that he was going to need time to obviously put his own stamp of authority on things. But ultimately, QPR have identified him as the football manager of that football club to come in and turn things around. And it is just not happening. And, you know, I'm not saying sack him now, because, you know, I don't think it may be blind, but a difference. They've tried two different managers since Mark Beale left, and it, uh, Mick Beale left, I should say. Um, and it's obviously been disastrous. You know, Critchley failed miserably. Ainsworth is, you know, he is failing at the moment. I don't, you know, I appreciate managers need time. Myself and you have always been an avid supporter of managers getting time to, you know, embed their philosophies and their ideas. But when you're in a fight like this, you need to find a way to win games. And QPR just are not doing that. And they are fast becoming an absolute laughing stock where everybody's just looking at their form on a Saturday afternoon and they're just saying, oh, look, QPR, they've lost again. Because that's what's happening to them at the minute. They are in absolute free fall and, I just do not see a point where the next win comes from. And I'll tell you something, I don't know if you personally have, have studied QPR's upcoming crop of fixtures. I don't know if you have, but I'll tell you something. They have got a really, really challenging running between now and the end of the season. They've After facing Preston on Good Friday, they've then got West Brom, Coventry, Norwich, Burnley, Stoke and Bristol City. So they are all playing teams that, you know, majority of which have still got something to play for in terms of going for a, a playoff spot or automatic promotion. I honestly believe QPR, you know, even if Reading get this six-point deduction, because of their form and the state they are in, I think they could drop down. And, you know, I actually looked last night on Saturday evening. They've not been in the third tier since 1967, according to the data I found. So really worrying times for QPR and for Gareth Ainsworth, I think he'd be beginning to wish he stayed at Wickham. Yeah, it's hard to argue with any of that, George. It's an absolute mess where the club it's is at the moment. Four draws in the Championship this weekend. Millwall drew 0-0 at the Hawthorns with West Brom. I think that's a better point for Millwall, if I'm being honest. Um, doesn't do a lot for West Brom, really. A lot of pressure on winning that game in hand against Sheffield United. Bristol City won, Reading won. In theory, this would have been a good point for the Royals had Huddersfield not done a complete madness against Middlesbrough. Um, and obviously the six-point deduction, it, it just kind of takes the gloss off what should have been a pretty decent point for Reading, especially away from home where they've been pretty abysmal all season. Still waiting for that point deduction, as I say. That'll drop them onto 41 above the drop zone. Burnley nil, Sunderland nil. The Black Cats become the first side to stop Burnley scoring at the turf this season. 
thought they were quite good value for their point. Um, Mowbray's done a really, really good job there, in fairness, with the injuries they've had. And I was just City- on, on Sunderland as well, I actually noticed earlier on today, 30 points they've now picked up away from home this season. That's a, a really, effort. you know, for a newly promoted team, that's really impressive. And, you know, when I've got a little bit more time, if I might compare it to how teams have, you know, come up from League One in previous years and see if anybody away from home has got close to that tally. Only four have got more points on the travel than Sunderland. So, really good effort and, you know, looking for a very comfortable finish. Definitely. Hull City nil, Rotherham United nil. Decent points for the Millers. I think Hull were probably the better side and would be quite frustrated to have not got the winner. Uh, Domingos Kina was sent off after the Rotherham Twitter admin wrote, taking one for the team. So, I think that was a pretty accurate way to describe what was a, a red card for taking down the last man to run a pretty clear goal-scoring opportunity. And that rounds up this weekend's championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Right, George, time for our shocks and bankers for Good Friday. As we've already discussed, it's my favourite weekend of the season. I just love it. I just This part of the season is my absolute favourite. Good Friday, Easter Monday is my favourite. And I'm excited for what's to come. I'll start my shock. You pretty much said I'm not be shocked if this is also your shock. I'm going for Huddersfield to win at Watford. When you mentioned it earlier, I was like, <laughs> I've not picked that for my shock this week. I, I think they'll win at Vicarage Road. I, I really don't like Watford at the moment. They're just, they're just <laughs> rubbish. Don't like they're Watford. I don't like Watford full stop. I'm sorry. As a neutral, there's not a lot to like. I've got no reason to not like Watford for any other reason that I don't agree with how they run their football club. And they're not very a very good football team at the moment. So I don't like them. I don't think they're very good. I think Huddersfield might stay up and they'll be pretty buoyed by the win against Middlesbrough last weekend. So I'm going for Huddersfield to win at Watford. I appreciate that's not the most cutting-edge analysis of why I've gone for that game. But just two clubs in very different places, optimism-wise. I just feel like this will either finish Watford 4, Huddersfield nil, or Huddersfield will win one nil, And I feel like there's not much in between. Um, and my banker, I've gone for Sheffield United to beat Wigan at home at Bremel Lane. I was struggling a little bit for the banker this week compared to the shock. And ultimately, although I'm a little bit concerned by the red flag of Sheffield United's recent Easter predicaments and equally Wigan's win against QPR last time out, that does you know raise a bit of an alarm bell to me. But nonetheless, you know when I think about it logically, which is probably where I'm going wrong because this is the championship... <laughs> Sheffield United should beat Wigan at home pretty comfortably. So I've got Sheffield United to beat Wigan at home as my banker and my shock is Huddersfield to win at Watford. What have you got? Well, I'm going to match you up with the shock, which is probably not a surprise to anybody. Huddersfield, for all the reasons you've mentioned, they're going to have, you know, they're going to have a spring in the step after that win over Borough. Obviously, won at Millwall in the last away game, which you know is probably one of the hardest places to go in this league and win. And obviously, Watford... All accounts have not been very good of late. Let's be honest, Wigan got a point there not so long ago. So I think Huddersfield has certainly got it in them to claim all three. As my banker, I did consider Sheffield United, but in the back of my mind, I just think Wigan, maybe are they going to do a Wigan? And, you know, pull yeah. off one of them great escapes that, we, you know, we've become used to seeing. And I'm not going to go for that just pure uh, because of that. So I'm going to go for the informed team and I'm going to go for Stoke to beat Bristol City at home on uh, on Good Friday afternoon. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from, whether that be on Apple, Spotify, or Google, or any other platforms. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24 as well. And a huge thank you, finally, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. really does help to make the best 
podcast that we can uh, with the tools at our disposal. So thank you to them for their sponsorship again this season. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for another bumper episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.